tornado siren started going off. And they were being really cool about it. They didn't want anybody to panic. It was Sunday, May 27th, 2012. And near Canterbury Park in the city of Shakopee, Minnesota was having, as we like to say, some weather. Not that this stopped anyone here from going outside to see live music. In this case, it was the fifth annual Soundset, which by that point had established itself as a huge deal hip-hop festival. Lupe Fiasco, Danny Brown, and Ghostface Killa and Raekwon from the Wu-Tang Clan were just a few of the top-billed performers that year. But the show came to a halt at 7.30 p.m. when Lupe Fiasco's performance was interrupted by a call for evacuation. Eamon Coyne, a Minnesota public radio broadcast engineer and amateur photographer, watched from the photo pit as the weather ramped up. Being so close to the stage, you start seeing the guys and gals working on the stage and, like, taking down things so they don't blow away in the wind. And you're like, oh, they're they're prepping for something. And then to have Brother Ali come out and be like, get the hell out of here, <laughs> basically. And the security, I remember them looking at each other and they're like, we, we're we just going to, like, lower the barrier and let people go wherever they want. And at that point, the VIP area was no longer, it was just people running. And it started hailing, you're covering your photo equipment, running for your car. The current. This is The Current Rewind, a new podcast putting music's unsung stories on the map. I'm Andrea Swenson, host of The Current's local show and author of Got to Be Something Here, The Rise of the Minneapolis Sound. This season, we'll be investigating Minnesota music old and new, from Duluth to Cannon Falls, from vaudeville to the present. We Minnesotans like to think of ourselves as modest, but when we go big, we don't mess around. Soundset is as big as it gets. Founded by the team behind Rhymesayers Entertainment, which is Minnesota's biggest label and a globally respected source for independent hip-hop, the festival regularly sells tens of thousands of tickets. But what is Soundset anyway? Well, as its co-founder and producer Jaybird recently told us, it's a challenge. You have all these different things going on, like, all day. And, you know, do you have enough water? Like, you can order a whole bunch of water, but then, like, last year you get 100 degrees, and you're still running out of water, even though you, like, tripled the order in water, and then letting fans know uh, where they can find the free water. I mean, the day of show, you always hope that everything's going to run smooth, but there's always a lot of things. As Rhymesayers founder and president Sadiq told us, Soundset is homegrown. You know, when we started this, there really weren't any other hip-hop festivals outside of Rock the Bells and uh, Pay Dues, which were similar in nature, but maybe not quite the same as what we did, but, but definitely similar in nature. And there certainly weren't any as big as what we grew Soundset into. For that few-year stretch, that Soundset was actually the largest hip-hop festival in the country. That should go down in history books because there's absolutely no reason that the largest hip-hop festival in the country should be in Minnesota. Unfathomable. It wasn't like 70% of that crowd that made it that came from outside of Minnesota. Um, So that was really built by Minnesota. Soundset is centered around rap music, but more broadly, it celebrates hip-hop culture. You know, you have a lot of younger kids coming to festivals, but like we'll still book different groups from all eras of the genre, whether it's DJs and different older people that have been part of the B-boy, B-girl culture, 
uh, the DJ culture, the rap culture, um, the graffiti culture. I think like some of it is always kind of looking at as like giving back, like, you know, hey, these early DJs played a big part in me wanting to be a DJ. So like, let's book Jazzy Joyce or Jazzy J or bring in Spinderella now. It would have been very easy for us to evolve this thing into a Rolling Loud festival where we basically just, you know, book all of the top, you know, hyped up, you know, younger acts and we pack it in with all the kids. But the fact that we're still supporting graffiti culture, the fact that we're still supporting, you know, the B-boys and the B-girls, the fact that we're still supporting the DJ. I think that's something that at least I find myself very proud of because those those decisions aren't made for money. We believe in these things and they're part of what we know and they're part of a tradition that we want to carry on. Most of all, Soundset is a family reunion. One of the things that I look at the hardest is make sure that we are repping locally. Putting people in position to play in front of people, but not just that, but to sit at a table and eat backstage next to Red Man. <laughs> you know what I'm saying? Because yeah. if, if you don't get Which to... Which has happened. I'm, exactly. You know what I'm saying? Like, give you the opportunity to rub elbows and meet some of the people that maybe you grew up listening to or maybe that you see as your contemporaries. A lot of people bought tickets to be there. And I feel accountable to every single one of those people that paid money out of their parents' pocket to to show up. But 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 I also feel an accountability to the people who are backstage. To make sure that there is an experience that is designed for those people to feel like they're at the barbecue. Soundset has become a welcome stop on many a hip-hop veteran's itinerary. Spinderella, yes, the DJ for 80s legend Salton Peppa, will be playing at Soundset 2019. She's also headlining First Avenue's official Soundset pre-party, which is an installment of The Clituation, an all-female and non-binary artist show. I've had my eye on Soundset for a few years. I've actually had friends that have been there. Um... DJ Mona Lisa was there recently. She's a good friend of mine. Um, she was there last year, I think it was. The lineup that I had been watching from my wherever I am is like, yo, this is crazy. Um, hopefully I'll get that call one day and I'm able to do it. And it just so happened that I did. And I was like, oh, hell yeah, I'm in. It was kind of like a package situation. Um, we want you to do sound set and we also have this party to jump it off um, featuring some of the, you know, the women that, that rock. I am so open for that. And I just, I have a love for women on the decks. Just my heart, you know, is into that because it's it's still a boys club. And to see the women just, you know, kicking ass, is like everything. Over the past 12 years, more than 400 artists have performed at Soundset. It's become more than the Twin Cities' homegrown hip-hop festival. It's one of the most successful events of its kind in the United States. But it could only have come from this one place. Minnesota has had a long history with hip-hop. Rap crews started forming here in the early 80s, and several became neighborhood popular. But for a long time, the only Twin Cities rappers known outside of Minnesota were Tony M., who rapped in Prince's new power generation in the early 90s, and Derek Delight Stevens, who rhymed on Paula Abdul's Opposites Attract in 1989, performing as a cartoon character, MC Scat Cat. Full disclosure, Derek sits three cubes away from me here at NPR, where he now works as a producer, and if you ask really nicely... He will still talk a little bit about his days as MC Scat Cat. 
But things began to change in the mid-90s. First, a St. Paul rapper named DMG signed a Houston label Rap-A-Lot, and he released an album in 1993. Two years later, a group called Headshots, which featured 11 members, began making mixtapes together. Sadiq built his own studio to record them, and along with Sean Daly, better known as Slug of Atmosphere, he founded Rhymesayers Entertainment in 1995. Sadiq, I'm curious to know more about kind of how you set up the label. Like, what blueprint was there to follow for, like, an independent hip-hop label in 1995? I mean, there really wasn't. And, you know, a lot of it was just us being naive because there wasn't that. There weren't the resources as far as, like... Uh, social media, there wasn't, you know, the internet wasn't what it is today. We didn't really need to have a record label. But for us, we were like, okay, I guess we do. So let's make one. And it was really just what we were doing with our spare time anyways. And then slowly but surely, we just were able to build it into something. Um, And then also we brought Jaybird in to really help the touring side of things. and, And that kind of exploded that aspect of our business. You know, this festival's always kind of been built on the backs, especially the earlier years, of, of the Rhymesayers name and the Rhymesayers artist. A brother Ali, a POS. I mean, these are enigmas yeah. to me. People who you couldn't put them in a box. Now, a lot of the artists here are like that. And yeah. I don't, you know, people are always asking me why specifically that question, especially when I get into other communities or other, other areas. People are like, why is Minneapolis like that? And you know, I, I never really know what to say. I usually blame it on winter, you know, I, or, or, or I blame it on where we are. We, we, we take in influence from so many different places that it creates kind of a gumbo of something that you, you, what, you can't even tell what flavor that is. They, they're, they're the first. Atmosphere was the first of its kind, and then, it, 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 then we made babies. In a 2012 interview with The Morning Show on The Current, Rhymesayers artist Brother Ali echoed this idea. All of the hip-hop momentum that we have in this part of the country is, is due to atmosphere. And that includes me, it includes POS and Doomtree, it includes everybody that, that really makes great strides out of here, Prof and a lot of other people. The result is a kind of hip-hop homecoming. First held outside the Metrodome, which was the former Minnesota Twins and Viking Stadium, then at Canterbury Park Racetrack in suburban Shakopee, Minnesota, and now at the State Fairgrounds just outside St. Paul. It remains rooted locally, but welcomes fans of all sorts of hip-hop, from obscure up-and-comers to the biggest pop stars of the moment. The first time Rhymesayers used the name Soundset was actually for a party back in 1997 at a warehouse in South Minneapolis. So I'm really curious to know more about the first ever Soundset, which was upstairs at El Nuevo Rodeo, right? Yeah, 1997. In the 90s around there, you know, there was every weekend there was a rave. We would go to them from time to time, and then every once in a while we'd get booked to come do a weird hip-hop set in the middle of this rave. Um, and so somewhere in the midst of all that, we kind of were just like, you know, why don't we do our own? Why not a hip-hop one? Because there wasn't anything like that. And uh, and I believe Sean knew the girls that were living there. And uh, he was like, yo, I think we can get uh, <laughs> this warehouse. <laughs> so it was uh, Soundset 97, and it was pretty much like, I don't know, roughly 20 groups, probably a dozen DJs. Uh, dancers. We had artists come in and graffiti like all the walls. If everybody just brings like ten people, we only need we only need five hundred people to fill the space. What I remember is walking up 
the stairs, it was, you know, it was dark. This is Harry Philibert, better known as Unicus, who performed with the rap group Cancer at that first Soundset party. I just walked in and, like, pretty much everybody from the hip-hop scene was just hanging around. Pretty sure there was a lot of blunts in the air. <laughs> it was an entrance that was on Lake Street, and when you got upstairs, it was three separate entertainment rooms, and so we put a different setup in each room mm -hmm. kind of so that you could move room to room instead of it just being one stage. It was three stages. Okay. It was eight yeah. to eight, 12 eight to hours. Eight. Okay, wow. there we go. I mean, after the warehouse uh, party, they brought it to First Avenue, Main stage, Wednesday, like packed, a bunch of young kids just running around, like everybody's breakdancing on the stage. Like when we started, you know, uh, First Avenue wasn't even letting hip hop groups play First Avenue at that time um, because of problems that had happened uh, prior to that, and so there was kind of like this this drought uh, for people really embracing and supporting hip hop. With the success of a lot of our entry shows and just the relationship we were building with First Avenue, I can't remember if we approached them or they approached us, but somewhere in there, the talk of doing a, a weekly night came up, henceforth brought back Soundset. Uh, and that was Soundset Wednesdays. And, uh, and we did that for a summer. I think first one was, you know, like 1,700 people or something, if I remember right. Because, yeah, it was even it, it before was they, they shrunk. Yeah, yeah. yeah. It was, I, we just, I, I think right. we just really started to build up really good momentum in the city by that time. And, and so it was basically a, a dance night, more of a, a DJ-oriented dance night. But then in the middle of the night, we'd raise the screen and kind of the Rhymesters Collective would do like a collective set like we'd a, also have a cameo from another group so groups like cancer were able to rock the main stage you know yeah. uh diff different groups that i don't think had touched the main stage yet were given yeah. these chances to do showcase sets yeah. 15 minute sets you know and then and then atmosphere would do a 15 minute set yeah. or 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 musab and atmosphere or or just you know whatever we, we but we would just keep it kind of different every wednesday yeah. so that it had the feeling of it being a showcase on a dance night you know <laughs> As the current Sean McPherson remembers, his band High Respects were set to draw a crowd across the Mississippi one Wednesday night. The promoter wanted to do a listening party, and they asked High Respects to be the live entertainment. And so this was at the front, which is on 4th Street in Northeast. And we were like, this is going to be pretty big. Didn't take a lot to fill the front, probably 125 people or something like that. And then we we're like, all right, we're all set. And then they're like... And Rhymesayers is launching Soundset at First Avenue, and it was the same night. So the grand majority of my friends were like, "I gotta go to this this First Avenue." I'm sorry, I gotta I gotta go do this other thing. I was like, "Okay." Soundset Wednesdays weren't just drawing locals to First Avenue. Jaybird traveled all the way from Illinois. I was doing a radio show with Kevin in Evanston at WNUR, and Kevin and Jay Pack came back from New York, and they're like, "You gotta hear this." this group atmosphere from Minneapolis and it just happened to be that atmosphere was playing I think with Jay Live in the entry yeah so we drove up for that show and then we stayed on Sadiq's couches and then we just started to build about stuff like how do we connect the dots for what we're doing in Chicago and what they were doing up here I always like to think about pre-2000 as being where we built and expanded our confidence uh, the internet was just kind of getting getting started for a lot of the youth, and so we were starting to kind of make our way through the cyber world. We were cyber cafe favorites. Uh, 
And then, you know, by the time Sounds had happened in 2008, the first quote-unquote outdoor festival that we threw, that was the beginning of the next era, which is where we basically solidified ourselves, not just as a local business or a record label, but just as a full-on entertainment you know, one stop. Because at that point, we had the store, we had the online presence. So now we got this festival. So I would love to hear more about that first festival coming together. If you're going to the Metrodome, you're going to put on this like large scale event and book all these acts. I mean, it sat on the back burner for years. I mean, it was like a conversation had every year for a while. Like, it kept getting put on the back burner because for us to take on some of those things, especially while we were doing so many other things. I and mean, I think that's part of why we didn't really explore these things after um, the Soundset Wednesdays and never even really explored it much after 97 was partially because, you know, it takes a lot of time. And these were totally new things for us. The opportunity eventually came back around to partner up with somebody, and then that made it kind of a reality. Is that Rose Presents that you're talking about partnering with? Yeah. I think it was, honestly, it was just Randy Levy's persistence yeah, with us. Timing, like, yeah. And it was just the timing of how everything happened because, I mean, it was like pretty much nonstop touring all, all the time. So it was like, hey, how can we find a time to do this? And Randy Levy's like, I can get you guys in the parking lot at the Metrodome because they did Warp, Warp Tour. I was yeah. there. <laughs> so kind of like they they had the relationship to do that. They could take care of different permits and different things where we could just focus on the artists, the curation, you know, the marketing. And it, it just, it finally came together. The first festival in 2008 was kind of a backpacker wet dream. In addition to a car show, skate demo, DJs and breakdancers, that 2008 lineup included Atmosphere, Dilated Peoples, Aesop Rock, Brother Ali, Idea and Abilities, Beat Junkies, P.O.S., and Musab. It was us and all our homies, basically, you know. Whereas from there, though, we saw, like, hey, man, there's demographics in this city that love this culture that don't necessarily have a reason to come to Soundset because they don't care about the backpack rap. So how do we make sure that we're not just speaking to one demographic you know how do we take that and open that up to much more stuff i played the main stage on 2008 it was way more people i was i was still a kid i was still such a noob so i was effing freaked out the rapper psalm one who moved to minneapolis from chicago and released the death of frequent flyer on rhyme sayers in 2006 remembers sharing the stage with her label mates there were many special guests but it was really just like the whole rhyme sayers roster Everybody on the label was on that one. I had fans out there. You can tell, like, if you have, like, pockets of fans versus, like, the whole crowd goes nuts. And I had pockets of fans. And it was so cool to see just people going, like, going ape in the crowd. That's super dope. NPR's engineer and, if you recall, 2012 Tornado Watch survivor Eamon Coyne was there that first year. By the end of the night, it is packed. I have gotten very sunburned. Probably a little dehydrated, things like that. It's as you get more under your belt, it's you're like, all right, I need to wear a hat, things like that. Like, you don't mind looking like a, a total fool up there because you're, you know, it gets hot and it's a long day. I mean, I think that's the main thing that sticks out to me is just that and the crazy weather. It was really hot, right? Well, yeah, it, it was really hot, and then there was a crazy storm that literally was went all around, right us. around us and took out what was going on at the time on. Uh, 
Boom Island or oh yeah, or like it took out something uh, was going on at the same the same day huh. over there. And they got or, hit with a bunch of and it, it, it literally like we looked up and the winds kicked in and was blowing stuff off the stage, and uh, it just went super dark and then it just kind of went right around, yep. <laughs> cupped around us, and we got reports that it took out a bunch of tents and stuff over. Uh, you know, just a little further out, but yeah, it was pretty crazy. Yeah, there were tornadoes touching down around, yeah. but not near us. Like, really, it was like, it all came, got really dark when Little Brother was playing, yeah. and it was one big gust of wind that blew yeah. over some stuff, and then that was that it. That was it. But literally, tornadoes were touching down in the city, like, huh. like not far away from us. So yeah, I think that was our first sign. <laughs> we had no idea that we were going to come back next year and do it again and again and again and again. But when the heat stroke wore off... There was no question that there would be another sound set because the first one did really, really well. By that point, Atmosphere was selling out, I believe, multiple First Avenue shows. At least oh, two. yeah. I think we're doing three. So, two you know, three, so, yeah. so we kind of knew, OK, we can get 7,000 people, 8,000 people. But our expectations weren't crazy. We weren't really like, oh, this is going to be huge or whatever. That first year, we were like, whoa. It definitely exceeded our expectations, I believe. I mean, thir- the over 12,000 yeah. without the guest list. Right, yeah. It just couldn't be in the Metrodome parking lot. I remember Jaybird just being pretty shocked when, like, the Twins schedule comes out and there's a Twins game when Soundset 2 is supposed to happen at the Metrodome. The pre-sales, I believe, for year two had already outstripped the paids for year one. So they kind of knew, okay, we're already on to something really big. After the Metrodome, the team booked Canterbury Park, a racetrack about 25 miles from the Twin Cities Metro. After Metrodome, we tried really hard to figure out a way to keep it in the city, and we yeah. just kept getting doors shut. And that's why they were they gave us open arms to go out there and do it, and then we stayed out there for a while. Rest in peace, Mary Pat. Um, for those that know Mary Pat out, out of Canterbury, I always talk about the relationship we had with them because it was such a good relationship, in my opinion. There's just so few places that could do those kind of numbers. The second edition of Soundset and the first to happen at Canterbury Park took place on May 24, 2009. Several artists made repeat appearances, including Headliner Atmosphere, but most of the lineup differed substantially from the first edition. You know, you could book Travis Scott one year and then everyone's like, I want Travis Scott back every year. You know, but we try to really flip it to where it's different. There's some repeats, but when you look at it in comparison to a lot of festivals and different stuff, there's a lot, not as much repeating of artists. I mean, LP's there with Run the Jewels, but... He played in 2009. 2009. Sean McPherson also performed in 2009. Especially when they had two stages, Rhyme Sayers was really strategic about going... This age group goes to this stage, this age group and this interest group goes to that stage and trying to make sure that happens. Higher Specs at that point still had a healthy, younger following, like a, I would say, probably 17 to 24, 25-year-old fan base was kind of at the center of it. And we were still, we had just sold out the main room in December of 2008. So we were like a larger band than we are now. They put us up against... Far side playing at 
uh, at the bigger stage. And we were like, oh, that sucks because we toured with Trey Hardson and we like knew Trey and were ex- excited, would be excited to see him. But it was strategic from uh, Rhymesayer's point of view because they're like, the young kids are going to be like, who's far side? We care about higher specs. And the older heads are going to go, we're going to far side. One of the day's standout performances came from Idea and Abilities, the MC DJ duo who were one of Rhymesayer's most popular acts. They played the first three sound sets before Idea passed away in October 2010. I mean, I have pictures of him just rolling around on the stage, giving it his all. Um, I have a, a shot of him. Then his mom actually commented on after he passed it, said, I, it's just a hand, like in typical Mikey fashion. It's, it's just a white T-shirt where he wrote, I freestyle life. I mean, he could just rhyme, which was really cool to see. But he was, it, for me, it always felt slightly unpredictable. You just never quite knew, as as a fan, what he was going to do. And he would see the other artists, not just Rhyme Sayers people, like on the side of the stage watching him. Some people just have that thing where you just, you're just you just drawn to them for some reason. And for, for At least for me, I'm not from Minnesota. So when I moved here, I started finding Rhyme Sayers. And, and then I saw him probably at Soundset for the first time live and just being kind of blown away by both of them. In 2010, another up-and-coming Minneapolis MC, Dessa, from the Doomtree crew, made it up to the Soundset main stage as a solo artist, which she'll also do in 2019. I remember being excited to be on a big stage, being thrilled to be opposite those acts. And also, to be frank with you, um, sharpening my teeth as a festival performer, because playing a fest is really different than playing a club. It's just kind of a frenetic energy at a festival. There's food, there's noise, there's laughing friends, there's multiple stages, there's merch. You got to get like shoes good for jumping, get your cardio in to make sure your breast control holds out. The other headliners in 2010 included Method Man and Red Man, Hieroglyphics, and Wiz Khalifa, who's listed between Idea and Abilities and L.A. underground hero Bus Driver on the poster. He played Soundset just five months before releasing his big hit, Black and Yellow. Just as Soundset has consistently booked artists before they blow up, it's also attracted hip-hop legends to Minnesota. In 2011, De La Soul co-headlined the festival. Jaybird remembers keeping his eye on another artist during their set. I mean, I could still see Mac Miller on the side of stage when De La was performing, just rapping every single word. Rest in peace, but when he passed away, that was the first image that popped in my head. At the time, Sean McPherson had no idea who Miller was. I had the arrogance of a, of a late 20s person where I thought my friends were the biggest thing on earth. And I remember Doomtree had like a pretty healthy crowd playing some set at Soundset. And then I was like, up next is Mac Miller. And I was like, well, I guess everybody's going to go buy hot dogs. Who the hell is Mac Miller? Then you just see this like complete Doomtree's is and was killing it turnout wise. But you see this like cascade of people down to see Mac Miller. Psalm One met Miller after that performance. Rest in peace, Mac Miller. Me and him talked for an hour. That was his first festival. And he was just like telling me how scared he was. And I was like, you're going to be great. He was, you know, quite a bit younger class than me. So it's like I was familiar with his music. But like meeting him, I was like, this is like a cool ass person. 
And he went out there and he killed it. And then he came back and he just wasn't nervous anymore. And like, there's like a usually like a partition or whatever between like the VIP area and like there's some fans on the other side. And they get, you know, glimpses of their favorite artists and like girls are going crazy for him. I was like, see, what are we even worried about? Like, they're going nuts for you. Maybe the peak of Soundset's clairvoyance came in 2012. That year's co-host was Brother Ali, who had performed each of the first four years. When he appeared on the morning show on The Current that May, he was excited about a handful of artists who were all just on the cusp of blowing up. For me particularly, I can't wait to see Kendrick Lamar. You know, everybody pretty much agrees that he's the future of what hip-hop can be. Kid out of, out of Compton, a um, lot of different ways of using his voice and really encapsulates what his generation is about. You know, the, he calls this generation the Reagan babies, the crack babies. They, you know, they were born and raised during the crack era. Sure, yeah. Really, really artistic young dude, man. I'm very excited that we have him. I, I really feel that Kendrick Lamar and Big Crit and Action Bronson and Macklemore are, are all kind of at that space where they're bubbling. And it, it looks like they have a really great potential to be something enormous, you know, really soon. We've also always been a little lucky in in being able to uh, acquire acts right before they break. You know, we had Kendrick right before he broke. We had J. Cole right before he broke. You know, Logic, we Macklemore, you know, mm-hmm. all these artists, which showed me that this was a show people wanted to play before it was about money. Although it obviously takes a lot of cash to host an event like this, The Soundset team's motivations are rooted in much more than money, too. When I interviewed the trio of men behind this festival, I found it interesting that they all seem to embody this kind of quintessential Midwestern work ethic. They're always focusing on making that next cool thing, and from my perspective, seem too close to the work to reflect on the magnitude of what they've built. (laughs) And in 97, we weren't... Even that wasn't like some idea like, oh, let's do this annual thing. We were just like, no, let's just do this crazy thing. And it worked and it was successful. But I don't even remember us ever even really contemplating doing it again. No, it was a horrible (laughs) idea. Like there was there there was it was it was a bad idea. Like but but mainly we did it to say we did it. Yeah. We didn't see money in it. We didn't see we didn't see any other reason other than to just put another notch on the wall like here's another thing that we accomplished because we'd never heard of anybody doing this and right. so we we did it to say we did it and we know if there's anything that's probably the ongoing uh blueprint that we've always had or plan that we've always carried throughout the years we've always been about doing things that haven't been done just for the sake of doing them it's right. a horrible business model yeah terrible you it know. seems to be working out okay though i mean <laughs> we're really good at the imagery like we got we got that part covered but. speaking of being quintessential minnesotans let's talk a little more about the weather i feel like they should put weather on the bill because it's gonna come The near tornadoes of 2008 and 2012 weren't the only intense conditions that performers and crowds have had to battle through. Here in Minnesota, summer temperatures can skyrocket to 100 degrees. With the intense humidity, it makes it feel stifling. Given how many younger fans flock to the All Ages Festival, I was curious how the three men behind Soundset feel about shouldering the responsibility for keeping their audiences safe. Slug had a really strong reaction to this question. This is my least favorite 
question yeah. that you've hmm. ever asked me. Oh, no. <laughs> uh, well, no, but only not because it's a bad question. It's a, it's a great question. The reason is as Soundset has gotten larger and as I've gotten older, my insecurities about safety have blossomed into these gigantic anxieties. And that is my least favorite thing about Soundset is where my imagination can go in regards to kids being unsafe you yeah. know yeah it, it, i definitely i i dread the idea of anything happening to somebody's child you know the problem that I, that it poses for me is that when i'm on site i become the same kind of safety officer that i am when i'm at my house with my own children you know and i'm, I'm like, get down from there merce <laughs> you know it, it's, <laughs> it, it's 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 it, it is a it is a real it is a real thing for me i don't know how to let that go you know do you want another tough question or do you want a softball? <laughs> I only want tough questions. <laughs> All right. <laughs> so Soundset has not uh, been without its critics. And one of the biggest criticisms that you've received is that there's a lack of women on the lineups, which I have seen you be very open and receptive to and respond to publicly. But I wanted to just give you some space to talk about that. And um, if you could tell me a little bit more about maybe how your approach to including women has changed over the years? I feel like there was a lot of space where that's something that kind of went over our heads for a long time in in general, or I'll speak solely on behalf of myself. I needed to be reminded, or maybe reminded is the wrong word. I needed to be shook and shown that that's something that I'd been overlooking. You know, there's a a bumper sticker or a tweet or something that I read one time that said, um, you judge yourself on your intentions, but you judge everybody else on their actions. And that really kind of opened my mind up a lot more than it probably should have. That's how simple I am. And, you know, also, if, if anybody out there does have a complaint, if you want to talk to me, I'm super accessible. I run the Twitter, hit me up. I respond to everybody. <laughs> Psalm 1 did not have an easy experience as a woman signed to Rhyme Sayers, which she has addressed in interviews. Since whistleblowing the label for their lack of gender equity in 2015, she says she has noticed more women booked at Soundset. I think uh, they have to do it now. People started to recognize that they weren't uh, reaching out to the amazing female presence in music in the Twin Cities. Some of the best female artists are from here, you know, and I'm from Chicago. I'm biased. So many great female rappers from the brat to, you know, Shauna to no name now, you know what I mean? To moi, me being the lone uh, female and saying something when I did, I was out on that ledge by myself. So several years later, saying them <laughs> reaching out, I feel like I had a, a major part in that and I'll die on that hill. I'm glad to see them reaching out to more women because I had a hell of a time getting them to even listen to me ever. Much respect to Rhyme Sayers and everything they've done and do for the community, but at a crappy time. But it's part of like my story. So, you know, I can sit here proud to say that seeing their work in the community, bravo guys, keep doing it. And don't do it because you feel like you have to, do it because you know there's some dope females out here. 
Some people called it career suicide, but to those people, I said, bye, Felicia. One of the more recent acts to emerge on the Soundset stage is Lizzo. She started attending the festival as a fan. When I interviewed her a few years ago, she told me she literally got fired from her job so that she could attend Soundset in 2012. Over the course of the next few years, she would go from a fan to releasing her debut solo album Lizzo Bangers to becoming a repeat performer on the Soundset lineup. She appeared on The Current's morning show with Jill Riley and Steve Seal shortly after playing Soundset for the first time. Soundset was amazing. I, I had so much fun. I got to share it with all my friends um, and my family, well, my mom, and, you know, Girl Party's family. So I, I, I just had a blast. I felt like the weather was perfect, mm-hmm. and I got to run around and ask people questions in the crowd. It was super fun. What do you mean? Like, uh, what do you mean, like, asking people questions? Well, I got this mic and this camera, and I, I just ran around and started asking people questions, like, <laughs> rap questions. Like, what's your favorite album? Why are you here? Why are you wearing that shirt? Were you part of like the sound said documentary crew or what? <laughs> no, I was just bored. <laughs> so I mentioned earlier that Soundset has been held at three different locations. In 2016, it expanded to the Minnesota State Fairgrounds. We were out at uh, Shakopee for at Canterbury for seven years. And it was first on the parking lot and then we moved to the grass. And I believe... The last three years, we pretty much capped out. Like, we couldn't grow. And then there was also talks of Canterbury um, doing stuff with the land. So it was just kind of like a mutual decision to move out. And we wanted to get back into the Twin Cities. It was always a challenge to get people out there. We had to do all these shuttle buses from all of America if they didn't have a car. I mean, a lot of that was pre-Uber and, and pre-Lyft, but it was always a challenge to get people from here there. When we made the shift to the state fairgrounds, I was excited about that because once again, here was our opportunity to reach a demographic that wasn't being reached in Shakopee, which is the I don't have a car demographic. You know what I'm saying? Like this, this is a bus ride, a bike ride for some people and i felt like you know all due respect to highway 13 and everything out that way valley fair i see you but this opened it up for the people that just like i can't make a trip out to shakopee to do this you know what i'm saying like and state fair is is the location is such a good location because there's so many places to grow with it but it's also you know it allows us to do stuff with metro transit for free rides um, it allows us to shuttle people in on their bus routes to get people in and out really easy. And you have this whole infrastructure there and an organization in the city that's used to dealing with hundreds of thousands of people a day. So you have all this parking, all these things that we outgrew in Shakopee that we have there with this new venue, which has been really good. Martha's chocolate chip cookies. The next year, 2017, saw another major change. For the first time, Soundset's habitual headliner wasn't on the top of the bill. I just went through in preparation for being with you to see, like, at what point did an artist actually get listed above atmosphere in the playbill? And it looks to me like that only starts with 2017 Travis Scott. 2017, (laughs) you moved to your own stage, Atmosphere and Friends. What made you want to move off kind of the main stage and create your own little side vibe. I I wasn't coming back. I had announced on stage 
prior to that this was the last sound set and what i really meant is this was my last sound set like i i after 10 years i felt like okay man what an accomplishment i'm now st still currently stealing 45 minutes of stage time from somebody else like everybody here at sound set has seen me i gotta come out and cut off some fingers just to impress you at this point you know what i mean like i've, I've i what, what am i gonna do that i haven't done i can't go out there on a raft prof does that you know what i mean like what am i supposed to do and so i just was like let me retire my my jersey and then just host a stage or something you know i'll still play a role but let me just not have to come out here and 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 run the atmosphere set again so then they started putting together sound set for the next year and i started to feel left out <laughs> it was a weird feeling I, I called anthony i was like yo you feeling weird and he's like yeah i'm feeling weird too and i'm like man we gotta do something so i called these guys and was just like how's the how's the lineup coming and they're like well we're struggling we're trying to figure out this, this this and i was like hey i got an idea how about you let me take over the fifth element stage you know i had the time of my life and to be honest i'll i'll I didn't want to say this, but I'm going to say it. I was not enjoying Soundset anymore. It was a job. And I felt like I was showing up to work. And I felt like I had work anxiety. I was worried about people getting hurt. I was worried about everybody feeling like they got their money's worth. I was worried about all these different things. And, and just was like, how do I have fun at this again? And so when they allowed me to move over and do the atmosphere and friends stage it it just allowed me to exhale it allowed anthony to exhale and and my set last year at the atmosphere and friends stage was the funnest set that was the, that was my funnest minneapolis set that i've played in so long it felt great because i knew wu-tang was over there playing so i was like look if you are here with me right now it's because you really want to be at the 2017 sound set unicus witnessed an original atmosphere reunion spawn got on stage it was awesome to see to see that brother on stage when they used to be uh, urban atmosphere like he was the other half atmosphere and he's on the first cd he's a vital part of this scene of this hip-hop scene and i think like for the people that been on that journey with atmosphere they know but there's certain people that kind of get left out sometimes so him coming out on that stage that was a good statement whoever ends up performing at future sound sets the festival seems secure so you've been joking about this thing that it's the final sound set but what would it actually take to make sound set end <laughs> i mean look at the, at the end of the day i mean there's a host of of uh realities that could probably but i think the only one that really matters is when we feel that it no longer serves the purpose that we set out to do with it um and that's it but but that's how everything we do is you know if if tomorrow we feel that our label has done everything it needed to do and don't need to do it anymore we'll stop we didn't start this business to start a business and i don't foresee ending this business because of business at the end of the day we're all like we're all kids that came up on this culture and have been fully immersed in it for our entire lives just even sitting down and talking for a second with somebody like a marley mall or a, a diamond d or, and you know there's probably a bunch of people that are probably like who but for someone who's spent their entire life you know 
kind of immersed in this hip-hop culture. It's oh, like, call it what it is. You're a rap nerd. Yeah, whatever. <laughs> I, you call it whatever you want. I'm just, it, it, it has been a part of my life since I was a child. Um, so to have those, those experiences is just a really cool thing. It's always a really good feeling. Even when you have bumps and things don't work out great, it's that, that feeling of everybody and, and just being together from all different sides of it, from the front gates to people in security to the stage crew. People always will be like, you know, oh, you excited? It sounds that weekend. And I'm like, no, I'll be excited Monday morning when it's <laughs> completely done. It went smooth. Everybody's safe. There's no problems. That's when I get excited. The Current Rewind is produced by Cecilia Johnson. Michelangelo Matos is our writer. Marisa Gonzalez-Morseth is our research assistant. And Brett Baldwin is our managing producer. Our theme music is Winging It by Laserbeak from the album Luther. Michael DeMarc mastered this episode. Thanks to our guests Jaybird, Sadiq, and Slug from Rhymesayers Entertainment, as well as Eamon Coyne, Spinderella, Unicus, Sean McPherson, Psalm One, and Dessa. Shout out to Cancer member Zach Combs for his book Headspin, Headshots, and History, and to Peter Schultes for his oral history of Minnesota hip-hop, published by City Pages in 2005. If you enjoyed listening to this episode of The Current Rewind, we would love to hear from you. Leave us a rating and review on iTunes, subscribe to the podcast so you don't miss upcoming episodes, and tell your friend about this cool new thing that The Current is doing. Go to thecurrent.org rewind to find transcripts and bonus materials. The Current Rewind is made possible in part by the Minnesota Legacy Amendments Arts and Cultural Heritage Fund. It is a production of Minnesota Public Radio's The Current.